How are you, church? Are we good? All right, three of you are great. The rest of you are just present. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> well, this morning we are uh, jumping into just a short uh, two-week series through the book of Haggai, okay? Now, uh, I know we took several months to walk through the book of James, and, and I know you're just waiting for the next really long series, um, but we're just going to do two short weeks through the book of Haggai because there is a great, great principle that is brought out through the book of Haggai, and it's this, that first things should be first. You don't, you don't, do, uh, you don't do this, do you? You don't, you don't put on your socks and shoes and then go, all right, time to put my pants on. Do you? Okay. I wasn't sure if that was a Midwest thing, and I just didn't know yet. But you don't do that. You always do the first things first. See, one of the things that, that I love to do uh, is I love to cook. Now, uh, recently I haven't done it as much as I usually do, but I love to cook. It's a way for me to reset my mind, to relax, to, to just rewind the whole day and unwind everything and just... Uh, I love, to, I love to hear the sizzle of stuff in a skillet. I love to, to mix things. I love, I love all those things. But see, I have a big problem. When I decide to cook, and when I get the op opportunity to cook, I get all excited. <laughs> like, I just get excited. And I, I, I get on my, my phone or my computer, and I will Google best recipe for whatever I'm cooking. And one of the, my, my worst ones is, is, is like mac and cheese. I don't, I don't like the whole box mac and cheese. I like, if I'm going to make mac and cheese, I want to I make real mac and cheese. You know what I'm talking about? Just the, one, the kind that you just put in the oven. It's got crunchy, crispy stuff on. Mm. Getting hungry already. But I, I do that. I, I'll Google it, and I'm like, best recipe for mac and cheese and I get excited my mouth starts water and I start bragging about how good this mac and cheese is going to be that I've never made before it's going to be great and then I start digging things out of the pantry to get ready and then I look down and I'm missing like eight things now you're looking at me going mac and cheese eight things that's a lot of stuff it's the best mac and cheese ever so it's got 72 types of cheese in it but I'm sitting there, and, I, and I'm so excited, and I'm ready to go. And then I look down, and I don't have the ingredients. Can I tell you, the first thing you should ever do when you're preparing to cook something is to make sure you've got all the ingredients. The first thing first. You've got to have the stuff to make the stuff. You're not like, I'm going to make hamburger steak. You got any hamburger? Nope. You just got to know better. And so for me, this, this is a, a learning thing for myself that I've got to start putting first things first. But see, it's not just like that when you cook. It's like that in your faith. It's like that in your own life. Is we've got to start putting first things first. You want to live a God-honoring life? Guess who you got to put first? Thank you. Again, the three that were good today for responding. It's God-honoring life is going to require a God-focused life. And see, we've got so many distractions nowadays going everywhere. I had this conversation with, with Rachel the other day about how short our attention spans are in this world. 
This, a couple years ago, they launched this, uh, this new TV aspect where the TV shows were 10 minutes long because our minds couldn't handle much more than 10 minutes at a time. Now you've got these like 30-second videos that people can do called TikToks and Snapchats and all this kind of stuff because people can't focus for more than 30 seconds. See, if we're going to focus on God, we've got to put away all the distractions, and we're going to start looking today at how we have distracted ourselves from the main focus. And we're going to join the, do that together through the book of Haggai. I want to invite you to stand as we read Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The word of the Lord reads this way. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages does so and puts them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own home. Therefore the heavens above you have withdrew the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on the ground, that brings forth on man and on beast and on all their labors. Father God, today as we read your word, God, as we gain insight into how we can put you first in all things that we do, God, would we today recognize, Father, the call of Scripture to seek you first, to honor you above all, God, to desire you above this world. Father, would you use this word today? God, would you hide me behind the truth of the cross? And Lord, would you prick our hearts so that we may have changed lives? Father, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. In order for us to really understand our text today, we kind of have to give a little bit of history and setting that's provided for us actually in verse 1, where it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month. 
See, what is happening is that the kings of Babylon have sent the people back to Jerusalem. Now, how did they get to Babylon? So glad you asked. Seventy years prior, they had been uh, captured by the, the Babylonians because they had not surrendered to God. See, what had happened is that they had constantly gone against God's word, and God had told them, I will be your God if you'll be my people. See, there's, there's a condition in this covenant is that God says, you honor me, you follow me, you surrender your life to me, then I will protect you. I will make sure that you are the greatest nation. Even goes far as back to Abraham where he tells him he's going to be a father of many people and many nations. And then it moves on to, to Moses. And, and he says, Moses, listen, I'm going to do great and mighty things if my people will surrender and submit to me. Guess what they didn't do? Surret, submit and surrender to God. They chose to do their own thing. They, they violated the covenant so many times that God said, you know what? In order for you to understand I mean business, you've got to be punished. It's just like a parent to a child. How many times can you tell the child to stop doing something before you have to take action? In Walton home, it's about 42 times. Depending on which parent's involved in the situation and what kid it is. I'll confess that. But the reality is this, is God said, you know what? I'd had enough. I had enough of this. And, and so here's a great thing. That when they actually went into 70 years of exile, they started obeying. Parents, take note of that. Punish kids. They hopefully will start to obey. <laughs> And so they started to obey, and they actually started to flourish, and, and God began to do amazing things, and, and just the great things. They began to be such a God-fearing people. And so what happens is that the king of Babylon, moved by God, says, you know what? Go home. After 70 years of having them work and serve, he says, go home, go back to Jerusalem, go back to your home and build God's temple. Because Solomon's temple had been destroyed. So go build God's temple. And so they go. They go back in, and it's a beautiful picture. And here they are 19 years later after being sent back to Jerusalem to build the temple. Here we are. For 19 years, they've had little skirmishes with, with other nations. For 19 years, they've worried about building the walls of Jerusalem. For 19 years, they've done all these things. But yet the one task that they were given when they headed back home was undone. The one thing that mattered most to the people of Israel when they were still the people of Israel was the temple. The Solomon's temple was just, it was this magnificent, majestic temple to God. And it was a place that all the world saw as splendorous. And they, as Hebrews, just loved it. They celebrated what God had done for them and given them. And then, 70 years of exile, go home, build the temple. 
19 years of just letting God's house be rubble. The reality is that God had gotten a little frustrated. You ever get frustrated when you're waiting on something? We talked about patience a couple weeks ago. I know we get frustrated when waiting on things at times. We keep waiting for something to happen. We get frustrated. Could you imagine being the creator of heaven and earth and waiting for people to do what you told them to do? The, God, the kind of God who can look at them and go, you're done. Is waiting on them to build a temple for his spirit to dwell in. For his sacrifices to be made. He's waiting on them. And here we go into verse 2. He says, listen. The Lord of hosts says the people have decided that it's not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Did you hear that? Let me, let me just read it one more time. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to build the house of the Lord. Did you pick that up? It may, it's a subtle thing. He doesn't say my people. He says these people. It's akin to this. It's akin to when you look at your spouse and you go, your kids are acting up. <laughs> yes. That's what it's like. It's, it's this God has said, you know what? You're not acting like my kids. Can I tell you, when I read that, it kicks me right in the rear end. I'm just going to be honest with you. The Lord at times has to look at me probably when I've messed up and fooled around and done things I shouldn't have done. And he looks at me and he says, uh, are you my kid? Because you're acting like the world's kid. See, what we get out of this idea right from the beginning is God has said, you know what? If you were my people, you'd be doing the things that I say to do. If you truly love me, because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. He says, if you're really my people, if you're really my covenant-connected chosen nation and chosen people, then you'll follow through. He says, you better get your act together. See, think about that moment that God had sent them into exile. But they had thought, well, God's forsaken us. God's given up on us. And then they come back, and they still can't get it right. Ever feel like that in life? <laughs> like you just still can't get it right, no matter how hard you try? So here's the question. How do we get it right? How do we keep ourselves from going down the same path that the Hebrews did? How do we keep ourselves from continuing to, to sin, ask for forgiveness, and then do it all over again? How do we keep ourselves from falling short of pleasing God? Can we fix it? Is it possible in our humanity to fix our brokenness? Well, there's three things I believe this passage points to us today that will tell us how we do this as individual believers and as the universal church. The first one is this. The people of God need to focus on God things. The people of God need to focus on God things. Now I say this because I want you to understand very specifically. There are some things that we focus on that are not bad things. That's why I didn't say we need to focus on good things. Because can I tell you, not everything that's a good thing is a God thing. Example, I 
spent a lot of time watching football. And you know what? Sometimes watching my Cowboys play is just bad. It's not even a good thing. Some of you can testify to that. Some of you are laughing under your mask. It's okay. Sometimes it's not a good thing. But you know what? Football itself is not a bad thing. Baseball. I love baseball. You know what? Baseball is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But you know what it's not? It's not a God thing. There's a difference between good and God. Now, God's good, but not everything's good is God. Understood? Just want to make sure because sometimes my wordplay can get a little tricky. You got it? Okay. See, what we see, they see that come out in verses 2 and 3. I've already read verse 2, but I'll read it again. He says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, and in verse 4 it says, is it, time, it is time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while my house lies in ruins. He says, you focused on you and not me. You focused on the things that make you happy and not me happy. See, here's the thing. They were sent back to rebuild the temple of God, and what did they rebuild first? Their own homes. Now, you and I go, well, yeah, they got to live somewhere. Just a reminder, the people of uh, the Israelite nation had lived in tents for quite a, lot, quite a while. But here they, they build their own houses. You go, well, okay, that's okay. They had to have homes. No big deal. The, the idea here is it says paneled houses. Paneled houses were ornate houses. These were swanky houses. These are the houses that you look at and dream about living in one day. These are phenomenally decorated and ornate homes. And here we have, after Solomon had built this beautiful temple for God to be celebrated in and for God to dwell in, for sacrifices to come, we're 400 years later and the people of God are further than they were before. 400 years after Solomon built the temple, the temple lies as just rubble. And here they are going, like my welcome mat? You like my chandelier? You like all my beautiful tile work? Well, God's home is wasted. See, here's the thing that we don't know because we're not reading the earlier texts. Is these people didn't rebuild the homes because of pressure. They had internal pressures and they had external pressures. It wasn't just that they had said, well, you know what? We just don't want to do it because it's too hard. Can we just all admit for a moment that following Christ sometimes is hard? If, you, if it's not hard for you, can I confess you're probably not doing it right? Because there's going to be struggles and trials and tribulations along the way. There's going to be pressures from the outside and pressures from the inside that hold us back to keep us from being who God wants us to be. But see, there were people within the house of Israel People inside the country that were going, no, mm -mm. we need to not build this right now. We need to hold up. We need to wait until the time is right. Can I tell you, if we're waiting for the time to be right, you're going to be waiting for a long time. Because the time to get right with God is not a couple of weeks from now, a couple of months from now. It's right now. Because we don't know when the Lord's coming back. I've always joked that it'd be great to say the Lord's coming back right now and just pff, everybody be gone. 
But the reality is we don't know, so you can't say, I'm just going to take my time and do things on my own schedule. When God says get right, he means get right. And today is the day of salvation, so you can't just waste your time. See, within the Israelite nation, people go, no, 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 it's time to, we got to hold off, we got to hold back. We don't have the money. <laughs> we don't have the money to do things. Here's what's beautiful about that kind of idea. Is when they had got sent back to Jerusalem, the king had given them enough money times two to build the temple. Here they, they didn't have a ton of lumber in the area, so they were going to have to buy it from neighboring countries, from neighboring areas. And you know what they did with that money that, that the king gave them? I just told you they built, built houses. They built fancy, ornate houses for themselves. They took that and they said, oh, go buy the best lumber so we can build really good houses. Because see, here was what they are focusing on. They're focusing on their own comfort, on their own desires. And, and we got to be honest. Believers, we have to be honest that sometimes we have put Christ second because it's uncomfortable when we put him first. Because when you put him first, that is unnatural for you. It is natural for you and I to say, you know what, I'm in charge of my life. Do we, I'm not the only one that's ever said that. I'm just looking for some affirmation here. That I have trouble when I put myself first, my own desires, my own wants. And can I tell you, that's as quickly as you can demolish yourself is when you hop in the driver's seat of your life. Again, to quote the great theologian Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. But we have this habit of being backseat drivers, right? I have a side seat driver that drives me crazy sometimes. Speed up, slow down, get around them. We do the same thing. God says, I, this is the direction. This is the path. This is how I want you to follow me. So I want you to trust me in the hard things, in the tough moments. And we go, yeah, around you. I just jerk the wheel. Or that, that driver, that, the, the guy that sits in the student driver car and slams the brake. Some of you have been through that. We, we, we turn into telling God, it's just, it's just how I want to do it. It's the way I want to make it. And see, when we do that, can I tell you, we break the first commandment. The first commandment is there's no other gods before me. What we've done is we said, no, I'm God, thanks. I've got it, God. For you to try to tell God that you've got it all under control, what you are saying to him is, God, I know you're good, but I'm gooder. That's not even a word, sorry. See, sadly, in our world, we've begun to sacrifice our faith at the altar of me. Just like the Hebrews did. See, we take care of ourselves first and leave the leftovers for God. In the Walton home, nobody likes leftovers. Very frustrating. Unless it's spaghetti, nobody likes leftovers. My question for you is this. You think God enjoys the leftovers? He says, give me what's first. Give me what's best. See, see that's the thing, that, that when we fail to give God everything, we fail to give God anything. The people have said in their hearts, it's just not time. How many of us have, have said that about certain parts of our faith? 
I'll do this tomorrow, or I'll do this next week, or, or maybe when the seasons change. Can I tell you, I, I can confess there are a lot of churches right now that are saying that. It's not the time because of this virus. It's not the time. Can I tell you, the kingdom of God is not closed down because of the virus. We still got to be about God things. I read a quote that said this. It says, the modern Christian is often filled with more excuses than they are the Holy Spirit. How many excuses do we make when it comes to putting God first? But see, it's not only the internal, uh, about all about me, all about my desires, but there were external things that were keeping them from being the people that God had called them to be. As they were preparing to build the walls and do all these other things, they were being attacked by other nations. They were being attacked by other kings. And, and you see this continuously happen, happening in our own world. Christianity is under attack. And listen, do me a favor. We have to confess and admit that Christianity is intact, but can we quit, please quit blaming other people for it and just start where it belongs? Christianity is under attack by the, by the enemy, the devil. Not, please stop. Oh, my goodness, I could, I could just start a whole other sermon right now in the middle of it. Please stop blaming other people. The fact Christianity is under attack. Christianity is under attack because the enemy... And can I tell you the other reason the church is under attack? Because the church. For too long, we've lived comfortably. The church always thrives under pressure. The church always thrives under persecution. The church always thrives when times get the toughest and we've lived in comfort for far too long. I asked you, do external pressures keep you from fulfilling God's desires for you? That Do you allow peer pressure, work, media, social media, sports, or relationships to keep you from chasing after the Lord's commands for you? See, the Hebrews were scared of the outside forces. It's almost like they had forgotten what Joshua told them. In Joshua 1.9 where he says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Can, can we grasp that for a minute, church? Then maybe we would stop being so afraid of all the external forces if we remembered this, that God's with us. Can, I, can, I just, can we just say that together? Can we, I want to say that as a church, you at home, here in the building, can you just say, God is with us? Can we just say it on the count of three? One, two, three. God is with us. And if that doesn't gird you up a little bit, then you really probably haven't understood the power of God. Because that should, should excite you a little bit to go, oh, the outside enemy wants some of this. No weapon formed against me has ever prospered. We have to understand that God is commanding us to do this and there should be nothing to stop us. He is our king. He is our source of strength and hope. And if that doesn't get us doing what God's called us to do, then maybe we need to check what God we serve and follow. I saw this statistic and it almost made me sick to my stomach. 24% of Americans attend church that's 
a week. Just one week. That was pre-COVID. Now, I understand I'm not saying anything about COVID and people be, not being here. We understand. But can I just go ahead and say this to you? 24% of our nation pre-COVID attending church. You want me to tell you why we're falling apart as a nation? Because we've forgotten God. We've forgotten our first love. We've forgotten the command of Jesus who says, Seek me first, and all of the things will be added. It's time for the people of God to put God first. You want to see what happens when putting God first isn't done? See, just look around your country for a few minutes. You'll see. What happens when God becomes second place, third place? I would be willing to say that for some people, God doesn't even get on the podium to get a medal. It's time for us to recognize that when we live without God first, we live unfulfilled lives. That's the second thing today. When we focus on our own kingdom first, we will be unfulfilled. God lays this out for, for the prophet Haggai in, in verse 4 and 6 and in even verse 9 through 11. Verse 6, it says this. You have sown much. You have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you, you never have your fill. He says you clothe, your, clothe yourselves, but you're not warm. He who earns wages does so and puts them in a bag that has holes in it. And in verse 9, it says, You look for much, and behold, it came to be little. And then when, even when you had some, you brought it home, and it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, which each of you busies himself with his own home. Therefore the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce and, and I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain and on the new wine and on the oil and the ground bring, that brings forth on man and beast and all that it labors. See, they weren't experiencing the blessings of God. I can confess to you, I need the blessings of God. I need those things. I need him in my life to, to provide for me because I can't do certain things on my own. See, the, the food they grew, it just was never enough. The drink they had, it just was never enough. See, the reality was this, is that they, would, they had clothes on, but they were cold. Can, can, we, just, can we just understand that, that sometimes the things we have, no matter how much we have, will never satisfy your soul. One of the things I've been trying to do, and some of you may have seen this and even heard this, is I've been trying to go back to the gym. And I've been trying to eat less so I can lose weight because my clothes are a little snug. I was trying to get insulation for the cold winter, but I've decided I can put a coat on now. So I'm working on that. And the other day I was so proud of myself. I had... I had eaten a certain amount of calories, and I was like, yes. And then everybody went to bed. 
And I went and I made the largest bowl of cinnamon toast crunch that has ever been made. And then I had two of them. Because no matter how fulfilled I thought I should be, I wasn't filled. I wasn't satisfied. Can I tell you, no matter how much money you make or how much you're liked or, or in our culture right now, how many folks click on your picture because they like uh, give you a little heart. It doesn't matter how much people do. If you don't have God at the center, you're always going to be looking for more. You're always going to be unfulfilled. Jesus says this. Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be the ones that are filled. It doesn't matter how hard we work or how hard we try, we're always going to be lacking. I'm not talking about stuff. You can have a lot of stuff. You can have a lot of money. You can have a, a big home and all the cars you want and all the clothes you want. But what I'm talking about you're lacking is joy. And peace. Those things that only God can give somebody. See, the things of the world are never going to be enough for you and me because this isn't our home. See, God created us with a little hole to fill. St. Augustine of Hippo wrote this in his confessions. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. doesn't matter how much you succeed in the things of this world. The things of the world will all pass away. You can't take it with you. See, we always miss out on the blessings of God until we pursue God first. God was telling them, you want to know why you don't have the things you need? It's because you haven't taken the things you need the most God is saying what you need in your life the whole purpose of the temple was not so they could have this immaculate building the whole purpose of the temple was they could have God's presence and if you don't have God's presence in your life I want to tell you something I don't care how much you make how much you got how good you think you have it you're miserable And I can, I, can know, I can hear it right now. Somebody said, well, Pastor, you just don't know. I do. Without Christ as the focus of your life, your life is empty. See, we're reminded that our life has to be built on Christ by Jesus himself. This is what he says. In Matthew 7, 24 to 27. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does, uh, and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house and the house didn't fall. He said, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built their house on the sand. And the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew that house down, and it fell, and it was a great fall. 
See, we build our lives on, on false gods, on, on fake idols. We build our lives on the things that don't matter. When the hard times come, can I tell you, it's going to be a pretty bad crash. And see, as, as God is telling this people, He said, you've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten what mattered the most. You've forgotten me. This is a reminder that we aren't building our lives, our families, and our churches on Christ. That we aren't going to receive the blessings that the Lord gives. No matter how hard you work, it'll be in vain. See, failing to put God first is the first failure you can make. How do we fix that, though? Right? I mean, it's no good for me to sit up here and go, we got to do better. If I don't tell you how we fix it. Well, it starts, number three, it starts with self-evaluation. It starts with self-evaluation. Look at verse 5 and then verse 7. The Lord says this is now, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 7 says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. When the Lord says this, when he says consider your ways, he is literally saying it's time to evaluate your priorities. He's telling you it's time to get yourself right. He reminded them that the reason they were lacking fulfillment was not because they they didn't have nice houses or because they were uh, free. It's because this, they had failed to focus on Christ. See, fulfillment was lacking because they weren't fulfilled in His promise. Lamentations 3.40 says this, Let us test and examine our ways. Now, I I love this. If you're you're writing down notes or if you have uh, the notes that we print for you, it says this, it has this passage listed, Lamentations 3.40. It says, let us test and examine our ways. And here's the most important part of that. It's not just let us test and examine our ways, but what comes after the comma, it says, and return to the Lord. Because I can guarantee you, if you feel unfulfilled in life, then you have gone away from God. Had a conversation last night, a text conversation. A, a, a woman I know from one of the churches we served in the past said, you know what, I feel distant from God. I feel like I'm not where I need to be. Can I tell you right now, the reality is that she would to look back and do a self-examination. She could see the sin that has stepped her away from God. I don't know what that sin is, but I can tell you, if you stepped away from God, it wasn't that God stepped away from you. I mean, or we could even go as boldly as David does. And David says, search me and know me, O God, and see if there be any wickedness in me. If you're missing the mark, there's wickedness. There's sin. We have gotten so bad in our churches today that we don't even like saying the word sin. Oh, we just fell short. Yeah. But we have to recognize when God's not first, it is sin. It's idol worship. Because if he's not first, somebody else is. It is 
It's time for us to evaluate our lives and to discover that there are things that we are missing out on. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, examine yourselves to see where you are in your faith. Test yourselves. And then he says this terribly frightening phrase. He said, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, but... If you fail the test, he's not. See, we've got to test our faith. We've got to check our faith. When we take time to do a self-evaluation, we need to understand that we don't evaluate ourselves compared to somebody else, though. (laughs) I always loved that. Can I just tell you, when when I'm dealing with my children, my wonderful, amazing, beautiful children, Building them up to step on them. Then I say, hey, you know you shouldn't do that. Well, I know, but such and such does this. Anybody else ever done that in your own life? When God confronts the sin in your life and he says, you know you shouldn't do this. And you go, yeah, God, you're right. I shouldn't. And you almost turn like that Pharisee that's praying with the sinner. (laughs) And he says, but thank you, God, that I'm not that guy. Look, when we do a self-evaluation, we're not evaluating ourselves compared to maybe who you were five years ago or maybe even your spouse or, or this other person you know. You are evaluating yourself compared to the perfect test, Jesus Christ. That's who we compare ourselves to. And if you don't line up with the things he's doing, can I tell you, you're missing some things. And I say that to you as I say the same thing to me. If I'm falling short in those areas, then I can promise you there are blessings that I'm missing out on. There are peace that I'm not getting. There's joy that I'm missing out on. But can I tell you the place to start today? The place to start is we talk about first things first. The place to start is not always with reevaluating, sometimes it's just recognizing in the first place that you are not a believer. Now I recognize today that you that are here have braved COVID and cold. And you're sitting here saying, well, preacher, I'm pretty sure I got Jesus. I pray you do, but I also know statistics tell me that if we're gathering in this room, there's somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And so if you want to get the first step right, you give your life to Jesus. But if you've been walking with the Lord for many years and you're still missing this joy, you're missing this peace, I'm going to tell you there's something that needs to happen. You need to look at your own life and make sure that God is number one. Sounds so cliche. But can I tell you, without that, You're unfulfilled. You're unhappy. You're seeking something. And that one thing you're seeking is Jesus. I pray today that you allow him to fill you and to fix you. You join me in a word of prayer as our worship team comes back up to close us out in our time of praise today. Father God, I just want to say thank you. 
Thank you, God, for drawing us to this place today to where we can sit back and look. And are we making you the number one thing in our lives, God? Or are we surrounding ourselves with, with idols that, that occupy our time and occupy uh, our, our resources, God? Are we, we focusing on things that aren't of your kingdom? God, are we allowing the good things to consume our God time? It's not always sin, obvious sin, that keeps us from you, Lord. So would you open our eyes so that we may see where we fall short? Father, today I ask that you would just continue to work and mold here in the life of Grandview, God, that we would be a church that seeks you first. God, I thank you for the things you are doing behind the scenes, God, and the ways you're working in the hearts of people that maybe we don't even know about right now. But God, we know that your word is true, that your word never goes out and returns void. So Father, wherever you're working right now, we praise your name for it. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?